welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see faces and bodies in a room together. Um, I'm Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. Um, For our call to worship this morning, um, it's been a long two years of navigating all the things. Uh, When we returned to the building August 1st, I read a blessing. um, I (laughs) shake off the rust, right? Um, I read a call to worship called Blessing the Door, um, and I wanted to bring it back this morning uh, as we're gathering again together in a room. And so as we do this, I'd invite you to maybe close your eyes and imagine if you remember that moment when you walked through the door, or maybe just a door frame if you don't have that vivid memory and what it is to actually walk through that door. And receive these words. First, let us say a blessing upon all who have entered here before us. You can see the sign of their passage by the worn place where their hand rested on the door frame as they walked through the smooth sill of the threshold where they crossed. Press your ear to the door for a moment before you enter, and you will hear their voices murmuring. Words you cannot quite make out, but know are full of welcome. On the other side, these ones who wait for you, if you do not know by now, understand what a blessing can do, how it appears like nothing you expected, how it arrives as visitor, outrageous invitation, child, how it takes the form of angel or dream, How it comes in words like, how can this be? And lift it up the lowly. How it sounds like, in the wilderness, prepare the way. Those who wait for you know how the mark of a true blessing is that it will take you where you did not think to go. Once through this door, there will be more. More doors, more blessings, more who watch and wait for you. But here, at this door of beginning, The blessing cannot be said without you. So lay your palm against the frame that those before you touched. Place your feet where others paused in this entryway. Say the thing that you most need and the door will open wide. And by this word, the door is blessed. And by this word, the blessing is begun. From which, door by door, all the rest will come. Amen. All right, friends, if you want to make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Good morning. Nice to see you. Uh, My name is Micah. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, excited to see your faces in the building again. A couple of things before we get started. Uh, First and foremost, if you're new or relatively new, we'd love to know you were here. Um, So there are some cards in the seat pockets in front of you or on our website. You can click on the I'm new button on our homepage there. That'll get sent to us and let us know you were here. Uh, Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. 
and uh, we can share stories uh, a little bit. So that would be really uh, appreciated. Um, tithes and offerings in those cards, if you're going to use those, uh, can go in the black boxes on your way out at each of the exits. Uh, a couple of things by way of community life. There's a game night coming up February 18th. I think that's the end of this week, uh, 7 to 8.30. So if you're a gamer or interested in games and board games, uh, you can register online ahead of time. We're going to cap that to a certain number of folks that we think would be safe downstairs in the basement of the church. So um, if you could register for that, that'd be great. Uh, next Sunday, the 20th of February, our monthly scripture circle is happening. So if you're not familiar with that, uh, a group called 40 Orchards leads that for us and with us. And um, a great way to kind of uh, get into the, the life and rhythm of Awaken, very much connected to how we read the Bible. Uh, that's 6.30 to 8.30, and that's on Zoom, so you can register for that and you'll get a link for it. Uh, welcome to anybody. You don't have to have gone before or ever go again, but um, if you want to try it, it's next week. And then um, last, we have a, a large freezer downstairs that we usually keep stocked with meals for folks in our church who are having babies or have uh, had something happen in their family where it would be helpful to have a meal. And so uh, that has been depleted uh, over the last little bit. So if you are a baker, a uh, maker of meals, and want to do that, um, we would really appreciate it. Uh, Heather at awakenwest7th.com is the person who coordinates that for us. So you can let Heather know, uh, and she can kind of give you some more instructions on that. So Heather at Awaken West 7th. And then last but not least, before we get to the scripture and the teaching today, paying attention uh, around Awaken, Lately, you may know that I've been involved in a few meetings with our denomination, which is the Covenant, and I uh, wanted to give you a bit of an update on a new, um, it, uh, I guess it would be uh, a new development in that story. So um, if you're not a partner, you wouldn't have gotten this email, but maybe you're interested and just not a partner yet. So um, stick with me here. We're part of the Covenant denomination. Everybody with me? Okay. Within the covenant, there are 11 conferences based on geography. We're part of the Northwest Conference. Still with me? The Northwest Conference has an executive board. And the executive board of the Northwest Conference wants to meet with our board, which is a new development. So previously, what was sort of in discussion was my ordination and my credential. And now, Wednesday night at 7 p.m., um, our church is now involved in the conversation, right? So they uh, would like to know well, ask a few questions about what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and what happens next. So uh, 7 p.m. on Wednesday, if you're a praying person, we would greatly appreciate your prayers. And uh, our board is, um, I've said this before, but just like a really, really wonderful group of people that I am like uh, privileged and honored to work with. Uh, I've told my colleagues, you know, they're, they're asking like, Mike, how are you doing? And how's the church? And I'm like, you guys, my board is like totally supportive and our church is behind like our, our sort of direction on this and people just can't believe it, you know? Like I'm, I'm one in a million of pastors. So uh, I'm grateful to you all and to our board. So if you could keep them in your prayers on Wednesday, that'd be great. Sound good? Okay. Um, it is the sixth week of Epiphany, if you did not know. Epiphany is the season after Advent where we welcome the light of God, not through that window, but maybe that window over there. Uh, welcome the light of God into our world and uh, try to work out what does it mean to live in light of, uh, the, uh, pun intended, in light of the light that has come. And so we're also uh, in week six of a series called the, the Life and Teachings of Jesus. And we have been discussing kind of 
gathering around, we say we want to gather around this well, which is the life and teachings of Jesus, but of course there are many, like three gospels worth. And so are there ones that sort of raise, you know, rise up, uh, that stand head and shoulders above the rest? And so today is a continuation of that. Jenna stood in for me last week, which I'm grateful for. I was in San Diego with a few former covenant pastors. Uh, we usually gather in January for what we call midwinter, but these are my pals and they're not covenant pastors anymore. And so we just went to San Diego instead of Chicago. You know, there you go. Surf? No, we didn't surf this time. Played golf though. It was great. It's great. We had a lot of fun. So thank you, Jenna. And it's good to, good to take a break every now and again. But I'm back. And we're going to study the Bible today. I hope you're ready for that. Um, we're going to be in, uh, oh, we're, we're painting with really broad brushstrokes today. This is, this is a, a theme, an idea that we find in the Gospels and Jesus' teachings that is on the lips more than any other topic or idea that Jesus speaks about. So I'll, Alex is going to come. Uh, we're going to read a passage from Matthew chapter 5 and a little snippet from Luke chapter 1. So we get Sermon on the Mount and we get the Magnificat from Mary. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. If you want to follow along, we'll be Matthew 5 and then Luke 1. Now... When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. From Luke's Gospel. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Pray with me, if you will. God, this morning as we come to this passage and um, these stories of Jesus that were captured and accounted for, chronicled in these Gospels, um, it's my hope and prayer that you would do what you promised to do, what you, what you said you would do, what you, we find you doing often, which is speaking revealing yourself to us through this word written. So Christ, uh, eternal one from creation, from before creation, who was incarnated, made, made known to us in Jesus, would you come to us again by your spirit today and speak a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of life into maybe even what seems like a world that is full of death and darkness and difficulty. Would you remind us that while death does get a word at times, it does not get the last word. That life and hope and love gets the last word. So speak that today to us, I pray. In Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, uh, Jesus, that's the one I'm looking for, um, Jesus speaks about this topic that I want to talk about today, which is the kingdom of God 
more than anything else that he talks about. So of all the teachings of Jesus and all the gospels that we find, the thing that rises up to the top, the number one hit, the one that's talked about the most is the kingdom of God. But what on earth is the kingdom of God? It's sort of a a broad, general term, right? So what I want to do today is um, I want to focus in on this, and I want to try to explore it from kind of a, a, um, a journey through the scriptures, okay? Um, when Jesus comes out of the desert, he's tempted by Satan. If you go back in Matthew, in your, in your Bible, chapter 4, it says, um, you know, Jesus tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of chapter 4, and then as 4 goes on, uh, there's another header maybe, and it says Jesus begins his teaching. So some people call this like the beginning of Jesus's ministry, right? He's baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, he's sent into the wilderness. He's replaying the story of Israel, by the way, which you'll see in just a moment again. But he's replaying Israel's story. He comes out of the desert, and the first thing he says in Matthew chapter 4 is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Why? Why does he talk about this so much? Um, it's, it's this reality. It's this sort of idea. And the verses that we read in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 1 begin to sort of get to, they start to uh, unpack or, or show off like the heart and the soul of this idea of the kingdom of God. So this is Jesus' longest teaching, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. And he's unpacking, what does it mean to live in the kingdom? If you didn't know, these eight windows behind you, not these two, but back here, they say, blessed are the poor in spirit. They basically have one church figure uh, or a person from church history that's connected to each one of these beatitudes, they're called. Uh, And then Mary, in Luke chapter 1, sings this song when she finds that she's pregnant with this Messiah and the angel comes to her and, and her response is this song, which talks about what happens when the kingdom of God comes And the rule and reign of God is manifest and made known. That these things happen. The the rich are brought down. The humble, the lowly are brought up, right? The prideful are brought down. This is the the heart, the soul, the sort of vibe, the the DNA of the kingdom. So we're going to sort of take a long journey through the scriptures. Um, And if you think about or if you want to talk about the kingdom of God, like what is a kingdom? And I would say at least three things have to be present for there to be a kingdom. Number one, a king or a queen. We don't even talk about those kinds of things anymore because we live in a democracy and not a... What is, what, is, uh, what is the UK? A monarchy, thank you. I'm like an autocracy, no? Uh, a monarchy. So a king, a people group, right? A group of people. And then a rule or reign in an area, like a specific place in the world, right? So if you have a kingdom, it has boundaries. It has a, a sort of edges to it. There's a king or a ruler. There's a people, and there's a, there's a rule and a reign, like a vibe, a DNA, an, an ethos, a, a reality that is the kingdom, all right? Um, now, if you, uh, if you go to a dinner party uh, in the next few weeks or something and you want some good dinner trivia, you can use this if you'd like, but does anybody know the first place that a rule or a reign or a kingdom is talked about in Scripture? Usually it's Genesis 1, 2, or 3, by the way. If you're very, you know, all of the Bible basically comes back to Genesis 1, 2, or 3 in some way, shape, or form. And, and so if you ever get asked a question like, what, where is this first in the Bible? That's a good bet, Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Genesis chapter 1, we read, well, Genesis chapter 1, let's start there, right? Genesis chapter 1 is the poem, the creation poem, in which uh, the writer tells us the way in which the world begins. Be- began, became, 
and it's deliberate in fashion. It's sort of marking this idea that uh, life and order comes out of chaos. So the light emerges and is separated from the darkness. Then the waters above and waters below are separated. Then the earth emerges from the waters below. Then on day four, you get the sky flyers and the, the creatures that live in the sea. And then on day six, you have this sort of marked moment in the creation story where you get the land walkers, right? All the creatures that walk on the earth. And at the end of day six, there's this really important moment where a certain group of land walkers are set apart. And they have something specific and particular and special that none of the other animals or creatures have. And those people are called, or those, are, those things are called humans, Adam. Uh, and they are given, or, or in, in, uh, like endowed with, the image of God, right? Genesis says, let us make humans in our image. So these humans are marked with the image of God and the breath of God in them. And in Genesis 1.28, we get this really important uh, piece to the puzzle where it reads this, God blessed them, the humans, and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, right? Um, care for it, steward it, tend to it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, and get this, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit seed in it, or fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So the humans, you get all the, all the veg, plants, uh, the fruits and veggies, right? To the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along on the ground, everything that has breath in it, God gives every green plant for food, and it was so. Genesis 2, there's this line in there that says, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and tend, work and care for it, tend and till. So at the beginning of the story, we get this vision of a world. And it's not insignificant. It's actually quite dramatic. And if you didn't, re if you didn't get this in, in Genesis 1.28, there's something that very important that I want you to see. Notice, the humans are given every seed-bearing plant. So the humans get the fruits and the vegetables, and all the creatures, the rest of the creatures that have life in their lungs, breath in their lungs, they get all the plants of the field, all the plants of the earth. In order for people or creatures to have life, what does not have to happen? Death. No creature has to die in order to preserve another creature's life. You see that? So in the very beginning of the story, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what we have is a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of creator God, where no creature has to lose its life in order for another to live. Some would argue, actually, if you're going to take it very seriously, which I don't necessarily recommend, but that humans were vegans in the beginning. <laughs> right? Not, no, no other creature had to die in order to preserve or sustain another creature's life. What happens in Genesis 1 and 2 is harmony. It's peace. It's shalom. It's a vision for God's creation where everything that God made and called good was preserved and flourished and lived and nothing had to die in order for something else to live. See, that's actually a lie. That's actually not a part of the original kingdom of God. Now, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, the whole story can come back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but of course, if you know this story, in Genesis chapter 3, what you get is the story of Adam and Eve and the, and the, the knowledge of the tree, uh, 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And what's introduced is another kingdom, another way of living in the world, another way of being human. And that way is not marked by obedience to, submission to, or saying yes to the original commission, which is given by God, to humans, which is to steward, to be partners with God, right? God says, like, take care of this thing. Tend until it, steward it. Make sure that my kingdom, my rule and reign, my hopes and dreams for creation keep going and happen again tomorrow. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 is the introduction of a different kingdom, another rule and reign, another reality where humans believe the lie that we don't have everything that we need. In in, in submission to and in concert with, in cooperation with the divine. But maybe, in fact, that God's holding out, that God may, may not be good and loving and kind and generous and abundant, but that there's something, there's life outside of this original command, reality, rule, reign, kingdom, and so we go and look for it on our own. And the rest of the story of the Bible, my friends, is the working out of this choice, this reality. Do you ever watch Dr. Phil? You know that psychologist guy on, on TV? He has this great like line that he always says. You know, this person comes on, they're like, oh, I smoke four packs a day. I drink, a, I drink you know, a 12-pack. I have slept with like multiple people's wives, and my life is a mess. And he's like, how's that going for you? Yeah, it's kind of like the rest of the Bible is basically like the chronicling of how's this going for us? This choice that we've made and make day in and day out, over and over again, to live an alternative way of life, an alternative reality, an alternative kingdom, an alternative under a, a different rule and reign, where not God determines what's good and evil, what's right and what's just and, and beautiful, but we think on our own terms, I think I can secure that. I think I can do that. Actually, I, right? And we would never say that out loud, but ultimately that's what's happening. And so the story goes on. But friends, this is, this is where the Bible's wild, you know? And I think, you know, good news, Right? If I were the creator of this thing where it's like, man, this is beautiful. You know, naked in a garden, everybody's great. This is good fun, right? Like, that's a good plan. And then people wrecked it. I'd be like, man, you guys suck. What's up with that? This was really sweet, and you just totally screwed it up. But no, that's not what God does. God says, well, let's keep trying. Genesis chapter 6 and 7 is the story of Noah and the flood. Now, we don't tell that story to the kids because it's not appropriate for kids. Uh, and, 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 and at the same time, one can look at Genesis chapter 6 and 7, the story of Noah and the flood, if you sort of uh, think of it broadly, metaphorically, as like, did you know that like most Near East, ancient Near Eastern cultures had a flood story? Like everybody had a flood story. The Babylonians had a flood story. The Egyptians had a flood story. So the fact that the Hebrews have a flood story isn't that bizarre. What's bizarre is what's different about this flood story from the other flood stories, right? That's a different sermon for another. Maybe that's a lost in translation, yeah? Either way, if you think about this as God saying, let's start it, let's start over. Let's, let's start with one family, right? We'll preserve all the animals. Uh, we'll preserve one family and we'll start from there. And from there, we're going to do this thing again. So even Genesis chapter six and seven could be seen as like a gracious act of God saying, back to the beginning, friends, like go back to the beginning with Fezig and his friends. And, uh, and it takes like one verse, right? They come off the boat and Noah gets drunk and he's naked in his tent. It's like, geez, Louise, these guys, it's like a soap opera. It's bad news. But it happens, Genesis, you guys, um, hey, hey, 
Wake up, friends. This is interactive. I need you to present and pretend like you're alive, like you're in the room, okay? Because that was kind of funny. I, I, next time I tell a joke, you can laugh. Let me know you're here. Genesis 6 and 7. Genesis chapter 12 is the story of Abraham. Then Abram becomes Abraham. And again, it's, okay, that didn't go well. Noah's drunk and naked in a tent. Uh, Let's try Abraham and his family. And so instead of like one family, then we'll try, uh, this family will become a nation. And that place, there'll be a people and we'll put them in a particular place and they're going to live a certain kind of life. So what was Israel supposed to be, intended to be? A city on a hill, a light that could not be hidden, one that would draw the nations in and show them this is what Yahweh is like. This is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the rule and reign of God looks like. But if you know that story, it doesn't go well either. In the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites enslaved and God rescues them from the hand of Pharaoh. They come out of Pharaoh, uh, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. And this moment, like they're, they're headed into the promised land, right? Chapter 15 of Exodus, we read this song that they sing. This is the first place in scripture that the people, one of the people that God intended to live this out, actually speaks of God as a king where they say, we sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. Exodus 15, by the way. Both horse and driver thrown into the sea. The Lord is our strength and our defense, has become our salvation. He is our God. We will praise him. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Lord shall reign as king, some translations might say, as king forever and ever. So we have a creator God as king with a people headed into a land, a place Not just any place, not just any random place, but a place where a a realm, a reality, a rule and reign would happen for all the world to see. And if you remember this story, this is Exodus 15, by the way. Moses goes up on a mountain, the people get bored, and they build a golden calf, and it's like, good Lord have mercy on us all. But even this, right? This This is invite. This is God inviting back to this. And then after the story of the Exodus and the people of Israel, they become sort of the people. You have the judges and the prophets. And they basically tell the rest of the Old Testament story, which is God calling the people back. The judges come and they say, come back, come back. And the people come back and then they wander again and they go back. You know, it's like, come back to this. And they're like, okay. And then they just migrate here. And then the judges come, come back to this. Okay. And then they just migrate here, right? Over and over and over again. And the prophets are like, warning, warning, warning. If you keep doing this, it leads to death. Come back to life. And they're like, okay, okay. And in Isaiah 52, we get like a new turn, a tilt, another version of the story where the prophet has this vision, this image of a wall with people up on, the, up on the wall in the watchtowers, and they see this one who comes, and Isaiah says this. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet. Why are we talking about someone's feet? Because that person is bringing good news, who proclaims peace, who brings good tidings of great joy to all people. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Luke chapter 2. Who proclaims salvation to Zion that says, your God reigns, is the king, ruling and reigning over a people. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Bursts of song in in Israel, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord is comforted. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm. And all the ends of the earth will see the kingdom. 
So Jesus, remember, Jesus comes out of the desert, out of the wilderness. He's baptized in the Jordan River. Do you remember this? Matthew 4. He's baptized in the Jordan River. He comes up out of the water, just like the people of Israel. He goes into the wilderness for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. We're doing a whole series on 40, by the way. That's coming up. He then comes out of the wilderness, and what is he proclaiming? He's just redone Israel's journey, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Why? Because in him, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he's saying, this is what it was supposed to look like from the very beginning. I'll model it for you. I'll show it to you. Enfleshed in blood and skin and bones. This is what it looks like to live the rule and reign, the kingdom of God, that this God was intending in the beginning, at the, at the beginning of the story. So Jesus says, follow me. This is the path. This is the way. So what is the kingdom of God? It's ultimately a, a reality. It's not a place. It's not a specific spot on earth. It's a rule and a reign, a realm in which humans participate with God, stewarding and co-creating a world that is consistent with God's original vision, hopes, and dreams for creation, where there's harmony, peace, flourishing, wholeness, and delight for all the creatures that live on the planet. That is the kingdom. And wherever that happens, where we choose to say yes to that impulse and live in that realm and that reality, the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what Jesus is saying. That's why he says it's close. It's in you. It's near you. It's like as close as your next decision. Because you can choose to live in it or you can choose to not. So when you interact with that coworker who's insane at your workplace, you have two choices. You can live as a person in the kingdom, under the influence of the kingdom, and respond in a way that's consistent with the kingdom of God, or not. When that family member reaches across the table and says whatever it is they say, you have two choices. You can operate and, and respond in, in kind with the kingdom response, or not. This is our so whenever Jesus says, it's at hand, it's near you, it's within you, that's how close it is. And, you know, when we're not sure, when we're like, geez, what, I, I, don't, I don't really know what the kingdom response is. I don't really know what it should look like or what it should sound like. Like, Sunday school answer on this one, friends? Does anyone know the answer to this question? Jesus, yes, yes, it's Jesus. I know it looks like a squirrel, it looks, it's bushy tail, looks like a squirrel, eats nuts, but it's got to be Jesus, right? So the Gospels, it's good, good news for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is it chronicles, it captures this life and this person who embodied what it means to live as kingdom people, right? Where the rule and reign of God is happening every moment of every day. Jesus says, I'm, I'm tethered to the Spirit. I'm tethered to the Father. Whatever the Father says, I say. Whatever, right? The Spirit is in me, and, and, it's, and it's just, that's my life. So Jesus says, follow me. So, all this is well and good. That's a great teaching, Micah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. But, like, what does it mean when we do it, like, day in and day out, in, in particular situations in my life, um, I want to offer just a couple of practical things as it relates to power and influence 
When we're under the influence of the kingdom, what does power look like? When we're under the influence of the kingdom, what, it, what does a, a, a relationship with our resources and our things, our possessions, our stuff look like? And what does it look like related to other, you know, the other person or our neighbor? Uh, and you may think, oh my gosh, we still have three more things to cover. Don't worry, it'll only take me a few minutes, okay? And then we'll move towards communion. So the kingdom of God, it, it, this is the invitation, right? Jesus comes out of the desert. He's like, follow me. I am the kingdom. Wherever I am, it's happening. It's this rule. It's this reign. It's this realm reality where the, the, the hopes and dreams of God are happening in creation. Because I, the human, right, the second Adam, am in concert with, in connection with the divine, with the creator. And their hopes and dreams for creation are happening right here and right now. So that, friends, that's the kingdom. How do we submit to that? How do we live it? As it relates to power. When we're under the influence of the kingdom, that's my sermon title, under the influence. When we're under the influence of the kingdom of God, power always looks like service and empowerment, right? It never looks like domination or top down and the service of self at cost to others, okay? So when we exert our power on our influence, if it serves me first and costs you, it can't be the kingdom. It cannot. Because the kingdom, power in the kingdom, never diminishes the humanity of another. Right? So if you look at the trail or whatever is in the wake of power and influence, if there are dead bodies lying all around and people, like humans diminished and pushed down, that can't be the kingdom. It just cannot be. Fig trees bear figs. They don't bear tomatoes. They don't bear strawberries. The kingdom bears life. It bears flourishing, wholeness, peace, shalom. So if you look in the trail of power and influence and there's not that, that's not, king, that's not power under the influence of the kingdom of God, okay? So as you think about your own power and your own influence, look back. What's in its wake? Are people lifted up and empowered? Are they encouraged? Are they given hope? Are they given vision? Are, they, are doors open for them? Is there more light or less? Or are they, right? Do people get squashed down? Are they just like carcasses, you know? Uh, I'm thinking of uh, one particular <laughs> podcast where th this pastor's like, you know, you got to get on the bus. And if you're not on the bus, get off the bus because the bus is going to run you over. And there's probably going to just be a string of bodies behind the bus. But we're doing this for the kingdom. It's like, bro, that's not the kingdom. It never is. It can't be. It cannot be. Power under the influence of God's rule and reign and kingdom is Always, always, always the lifting up, the giving of life, the opening of doors, the, the, the more, more light, right? It's never less. It's never diminishment of another human, right? Because remember Genesis 1.28, no, no creature has to die in order for another to live. That's a lie. We don't have to live that way. You don't have to lose in order for me to win in the kingdom, that's not how it works. It's not a zero-sum game. Because if we begin with abundance and, and God, then it, there's always more. There's always enough. I don't have to fight you and take and grasp and secure. That, that's just not how the kingdom works. So as you think about your own life and your power, your influence, what does it look like with your kids, with your workplaces, at school, in the places that you have influence and power? Kids in the room, teenagers in the room, I'm talking to you too. You have power. You have influence. What does it look like? Your neighbors down the street, when you're with them, do they feel lifted up? Or is it a fight? 
for something that only one person gets. Because that game, you don't have to play it. That's not the kingdom. As it relates to our resources, what about the stuff in our hands, right? The things that we've, we've earned, the money that we have, the houses we have, the cars we have, the clothes that we wear, the, uh, the gadgets and things. How do we relate to those if we're under the influence of the kingdom? Well, first and foremost, it's not mine. A person under the influence of the kingdom starts with, it's not mine. None of it is. This body that I occupy, these digits that I have, these limbs and this breath in my lungs and heart, you know, blood in my veins, it's a gift. I'm not entitled to it. I don't even deserve it. I'm here, though, and that's grace. So I begin with grace and gift. And so anything beyond that, anything I can do with gift and grace is like, wow. But mine is not an answer of the kingdom. It is not a posture of the kingdom. Uh, Western capitalism, though it offers a whole bunch of things that are good, it does offer the danger of mine, where we declare something as mine. You know, the idea of property as mine, like I own this house, I own this land, that's so new in the, in the, in the scheme of humans' interactions and how we, like, how we relate to the world that we're in. The folks who were here long before us never thought that the land was mine or theirs. They were stewards. They got something we don't get. Maybe we should listen. I want to suggest the the metaphor of open hands as we think about our possessions and our stuff. People under the influence of the kingdom hold their possessions, hold their resources, hold their money that you earned, which was a gift. Yeah, you participated, glad you showed up, thank you, worked your hours, clocked them, good, paid fairly, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, right? How do you hold that then? Open hands. It's not mine. I'm a steward. I'm a steward for what purpose? Well, according to the scripture story, Israel was not blessed for Israel's sake, they were blessed for the sake of the neighbor, for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. Abraham was not blessed for the sake of his family, but for the sake of everybody else, for the sake of the world. So kingdom people recognize that my possessions, my wealth, what I have is from my neighbor's good. That I am not the, I'm not the only person that, that, that uh, benefits from resource, right? Rather, I hold it with open hands. I, it was a gift, thank you, abundance, start there, and then for my neighbor's good. When we begin to understand and, and then posture ourselves in our, towards our resources in that way, then we start to recognize the kingdom influence. Now, that may sound a whole lot like socialism, and, you know, there's a, that's an interesting conversation. I'm not saying one, one way or the other on this one, but it is an interesting conversation around how do kingdom people hold their resources and their economic power? That's a fascinating conversation that Christians don't often have, and I think it's one we should be having. Because Jesus just seems to go around and he's just like free with his stuff and everybody has enough. And he tells the rich young ruler, like, sell everything you have and follow me. What's going on there? There's a different way to relate to our possessions and resources when we're under the influence of the kingdom. Worthy of our thought. Last but not least, what about the other? What about the person who's different than us? What about the, the Democrat if you're a Republican? The Republican if you're a Democrat? What about the person who's ethnically different than you? What about the person whose sexual orientation is different than you? What about the alien, the orphan, the immigrant, the foreigner? Well, if you listen to the story, the consistent message all through here when Israel was trying to figure out and work this bad choice out, God was saying, 
Don't harvest your field to the edges. Leave some for the immigrant, the, the alien, the, the orphan. Why? Because they're on the margins. They're on the outside. They're on the edges. They're, on, they're like one step away from poverty and not making it. Those people, they are concern of the people of the kingdom. Why? Because we care about everybody. We care about all of God's creation and that everyone has enough and that there's flourishing and wholeness and delight for everybody who has breath in their lungs, not just me. So as it relates to the other, when we're under the influence of the kingdom, a church should be a radical place of hospitality. That's why it's on that board over there, because we want to live into that. It should be a place that opens its doors wide enough for all. It should be a place that says at the table where there's communion served and there's Eucharist, any and all who want it, come and get it. Eat and drink and get your fill of God's presence. Right? So, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to land this plane, and I want to offer a a moment of silence and and a word of prayer, and I'm going to sort of lead you in a reflection related to this concept, right? We've talked about what is the kingdom of God? Jesus comes out of the desert and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's the thing he talks about the most. Why? Because the whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible is about two kingdoms and which one will you participate in? Which one will you live from? Which one will you say yes to today in this moment and at lunch and then at dinner and then tomorrow? So pray with me. And we'll move towards a response and the table. God, as we take a few moments of silence this morning, big, big, huge idea that we're trying to get our, wrap our heads and our hearts around this kingdom that you seem to care so much about, that you talk about all the time, Jesus. For my friends in the room, for myself, Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide in this moment of reflection? Church, I want to ask, if you were under the influence of the kingdom of God, what would change? Maybe take a moment in the quietness of your own heart. Take inventory of your life. If you were under the influence of the kingdom, as you breathed in, you were breathing in yes to the kingdom, and you breathed out a response, a life lived connected to the kingdom. If you were under that influence every day, What would change? What what might you be invited to let go of? Maybe to, to loosen your grasp on. Is it an economic item? Is it money? Is it power? Is it wealth? What might you be invited to let go of? And what might you be invited to receive more of? Just take a few moments to think about those two questions. Holy Spirit, we together, as much as we can this morning, we repent 
from our the way in which we act out Genesis 3, where we think that our way might be better, where we attempt to do something, secure something, take something at cost to another, where our actions and our words bring death and not life. We, we repent from that. We turn around. We want to we move towards the vision that we see in the beginning where we are in step with, in tune with, we're hearing the melody of the kingdom and we're, we're dancing with you. We're making sure that this life, this, this realm, this reality keeps moving, keeps going, is available to more and more people. So in the ways in which we get in, in the way of that, we ask for your forgiveness. The ways in which we stand in opposition to that, we ask for your forgiveness. And as we make our way to this table, which reminds us of this selfless act of love, may that grow in us. May that become a part of our very fiber, our very being. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Remember the things I've taught you, this way of being human. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. This is the path. This is the way forward. This way to life. Follow me. Even if it means death now, it means life forever. So do it in remembrance of me. Mel's going to lead us in song. Communion will be available on my right and left. There's red wine and white grape juice. I invite you to take a piece of bread. The bread's all gluten-free. Dip it in the cup. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. Yeah, I was thinking about, I don't know if any of you had um, grandparents or parents who loved, like, my grandpa Char Charlie, Chaz, better known as, he loved Burl Ives. So we'd go over to his house on Friday nights and he'd have Burl Ives playing and, you know, that kind of thing. I was sitting down here singing that song and I was imagining, like, Chaz and Phyllis and Elmer and Jeannie and those who have come before us, like, that's... That's the prayer. You know, as old-timey as it may feel or sound, that's it, right? Jesus, we want to walk close with you. Because like every day, we choose this all the time. When we lash out, when we respond with anything less than peace and forgiveness and mercy, we do Genesis 3 instead of Genesis 1. And, and, it, and it's not going well. Like it didn't go well and it doesn't, it's not going well when we keep choosing that. So the invitation for thousands of years from the church is that Jesus came and said, this is what life looks like. So walk with me this way to life. And so today I would just invite you, choose life. Choose, choose Jesus. Choose that way. And instead of the other option, which says that, it's a zero-sum game, and you got to get yours while you can because there's not enough to go around. That's just not true. It's a lie. And, and it won't bring anybody life. It only brings death. So let's live a different way. Yeah? That's the church.
under a king, a people under a rule and reign of one who defeats death, who resurrects from the dead, and who says life and hope and love and mercy and grace and forgiveness is this way in this life, so follow me. So, you know what to do. Let's try it again tomorrow. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.